It's another episode of Swing Thoughts. Uh, Tim tells me this is uh, episode number 182. It's Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show. Self-appointed golf's spiritual leader. It doesn't matter why, I just said I am. And of course, uh, Coach Tim from the uh, Guelph Griffins. And of course, you can use Tim uh, for banquets, for uh, weddings, for bar mitzvahs. He's available uh, for coaching of every kind. O'ConnorGolf.ca. Tim, how are you, man? Very good. Very, very good. Hey, did you play golf this week? It's been amazing weather. Uh, I played on, uh, I think, uh, Monday, Tuesday, and uh, Wednesday was when it got cold. But uh, it's beautiful today. There's lots of guys playing fall golf. I'm sure. Have you uh, gotten out since uh, the official season ended? Are you... uh no, I put them behind the furnace um, after the game that you, I, and Ronan played. Uh, nice. What was that? It was almost two weeks ago. Yeah, I had a pretty good round going, actually, on uh, Tuesday. Maybe we'll talk about that with, my, uh, with our guest today. Um, if there was any guest in the entire time we've been doing this show that doesn't need a lot of introduction other than to say who he is... And where he's from, uh, he'll. Well, actually, I'll get to introducing him in a second. I also want to acknowledge the fact that we are uh, graciously supported by TaylorMade Golf. Uh, what a great season using TaylorMade equipment, and of course, the number one driver in golf, and of course, Jonathan Wong Apparel, uh, JW Apparel Inc. CA, I think. Anyway, as I said, this this guest of ours really needs no introduction because for about the last six months, we've been playing a little drinking game here. And every time I mention decade, we, we hit this sound. And I, I don't know, it, it's got to be in the hundreds. Uh, please welcome the man that created the system that has made such a difference in so many people's golf lives. Uh including mine say hello to scott fawcett from decade golf look at you pro look at you yes we're all very excited yes, 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 please. More, more applause more uh, random uh, audio files that's that's fantastic i, I appreciate uh, all i can get well you know I, I i wanted to i was thinking this morning anticipating you coming on i'm like where should i start with this man you know, a lot of people know the origin story of how Decades started. Uh, legendarily now, you caddied for Will Zalatoris in the 2014 Texas Amateur. I'm doing this off the top of my head. This is how well I know your story. He caddied for, he, he caddied for Will, uh, implemented this system he'd been thinking about. And, and I think that's part of the Decade origin story, as I say. But I want to talk a little bit before we get into the system and how it impacted me in particular and how it's impacted golf in general. I don't know if enough people really realize that you were a professional golfer at a pretty high level. Give us a little bit of the Scott Fawcett story and and what happened sort of at the stumbles you had that led you to creating this system. Yeah, it's actually an interesting comment because I, I spoke this week in Pinehurst at the Golf Magazine Top 100 and literally I, I played in the 1999 US Open at Pinehurst. So when trying to think of my theme, the, the guy asked me to to talk about things that could help the average player. And I was like, well, I can just tell you all the dumb stuff that I did in the U S open. And I'll relate that to the average player because it really is incredible. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really, I didn't specialize in golf until I got to college. And then once I got to college, i played a year at Sam Houston State and then took a year and a half off to transfer to Texas A&M. And then I played a couple semesters there, but then I broke my leg playing basketball with the basketball team because I'm a moron. Shockingly, that didn't pan out very well. So I really didn't even touch a club my last 15 months of school. 
naturally, uh, you know, then I turned pro, even though I really hadn't played a whole lot of competitive golf technically in my life. And, you know, I had a pretty good professional career, I would say. I mean, I, it was never what you would air quotes, you know, say is successful because the only thing successful in professional golf is did I make millions on the PJ Tour or not? I did not. So, but I would say, you know, I won 10 professional events, not like how you see guys like I had 87 professional wins and they were one day deals on the, the Moonlight Tour or whatever. It's like. And I, I won some actual 72 hole events on the Hooters Tour and, you know, essentially every tour aside from the ones you want to win on. But I really was just the prototypical idiot 24-year-old golfer who hits it really well, doesn't really understand putting. And, you know, so I, I, I really, I would say, did decent. And then once I started working with Chris Como, once I quit playing professionally, I started playing a lot of poker and applying the poker math to it. And that's really what straightened out my brain for the most part was just understanding you poker odds and math and tournament situations and that you're going to have bad beats. And there's, it's really a perfect analogy straight into golf. So, you know, my ability as a player is what allows me to see things differently in the data. You've obviously got a lot of really smart data people out there that are, you know, four to eight handicaps. And, you know, there are times that we disagree on what the data says and it's, I'm letting my ability as a player, let me see things differently. And I think that's one thing that, you know, people don't really understand. It's 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 easy to misinterpret what's going on when you're just purely looking at data. So my my background as a player, I think, gives me a little bit different lens to look through. But I'm also really interested in the data portion of it. Can you sure. tell us a little bit about your um, math acumen, if you will? And did you was this uh, what you studied in university? Or? It is. So I, you know, whatever. I, I feel like I always have to apologize. I was in the gifted and talented classes as a kid, but hey, it, it's by honestly, the way, Scott, this, this podcast on in Canada, you don't have to apologize for being smart. We're all about that. <laughs> well, I just feel like I catch so much grief. No, no, I, I'm sure in like, America you have to apologize for knowing some big words, but not here, my friend. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know big words. I'm good with math. I'm, I'm terrible with language. It, it's funny, actually, though, because and I don't know how this passed. Uh, it wouldn't happen in these days. But the day we used to have to go to this gifted and talented class one day a week. And the day that we went was actually the day that we had heavy focus on English and grammar. And it's funny because, like, I suck at writing. <laughs> I'm terrible at it. I don't make videos because it's easier. I make videos because I can't write. Um, but so. You know, I'm pretty good with math. You know, I'm definitely not on the levels of, of the other stats guys out there. I mean, when we start talking Z scores and regression analysis, like I understand what we're talking about there, but I'm going to have to go get a refresher course on Khan Academy to, to do it. But what I actually did a ton of was those grid style logic problems, like whatever branch of the branch of the spectrum that I it is that I fall myself on, uh, fall myself on, fall on myself. See, yeah, maybe talking is not so good for you. <laughs> Which, whichever branch <laughs> of the spectrum I fall on definitely gave me the singular focus on those logic problems. And so I could do those at a ridiculous clip and I would just sit down for hours and hours and doing it. And I think that that's honestly what, you know, kind of gives me the, 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 the view that I have where, and again, it's why I like debating so much. I, I feel like I'm just operating on a different level than a lot of people whenever I'm I'm seeing where this is going because of a background in logic. So to, to Tim's question, math, again, I'm pretty good with math. So I, I've got finance and economics degrees. Um, and again, it really is pretty basic expectation math. I mean, the, the MIT Sloan people asked me to come or, or started the conversation with me coming to the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. And I'm like, okay, but... I need to sit up there until you weighted average math. It's not going to be nearly as exciting or interesting. But you saw something. You saw something 
in golf that a lot of people didn't see. Um, oh, the strokes gained fellow. Uh, Mark, Mark Brody. Brody. Mark Brody. Yeah. He, he saw something there. And I think that what's, and I'll ask Howard his input on this, is that you saw a relationship between playing the game and seeing the hard data that wasn't really recognized by a lot of people, whether they be professionals or amateurs. Howard, what did you think? Um, well, I mean, strokes gain hasn't been around that long. A lot of people don't realize, Scott, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's 2004 as Brody's book came out. But some, no, somewhere, no, 2014. 2014, right. So it hasn't been around for a long time. But I'm not sure, really sure you know, what you're asking me to comment on as far as Scott goes. But I was going to say, Tim and I are the opposite of you, Scott. I don't know about you, Timmy, but when they introduced algebra in school, I just watched those. I think I saw the Pythagorean theorem come whizzing by me and splat on the wall behind. But I was always able to you know, articulate verbal, verbally, which is you know, another right brain. I knew brain. that those were letters A and B. <laughs> That's right. I, when, well, there's our started, first problem. If, if we're going to layer in the, the uh, Canadian versus American thing, if they're teaching the Pythagorean theorem, which is geometry, and algebra no wonder you couldn't figure it out well i just remember See, there when, you they, go. when they introduced <laughs> it i was like i don't think this is for me i'm good at addition i can do my times tables um <laughs> but let's just go back to you know when when the strokes gained data started was around ironically the same time in 2014 that you were working with zalatoris and you were again back to your origin story you'd gotten out of professional golf and, and you had gotten into business quite successfully. And then you started to get this notion of all these things coming together. Maybe this will help with uh, Tim's question about all these ideas, mathematical concepts, Brody's strokes gained. When did it all kind of, you know, like the, met, the matrix all come together for you? And you went, oh, I, I, I have an idea. Well, it wasn't ironically at about the same time. It was because of um, it. Would I would not have been able to do what I did without Mark Brody's work. I mean, he is the uh, the godfather of modern golf statistics. But like I say, I, I, I was when I quit playing professional golf back in two thousand one. I started playing some you know illegal. I, I think the statute of limitations has run now, but some illegal <laughs> underground card games here in Dallas, and I actually met Chris Como. That's where Como and I met, not at a golf course. Was playing poker, and. He and I have spent a couple of years really going deep with, you know, hand this what's called push fold analysis for tournaments with what you should and shouldn't be doing in any given situation. We went really deep with making these math based charts as to how you should play poker. And like I say, that was the first place that, again, somehow, some way, I never really thought of golf as a math game. But at the end of the day, it really is a math game with a physical component as opposed to like backgammon is a math game with a luck component introduced by dice and poker with cards and blah, blah, blah. Um, like so alcohol is involved with both. Well, yeah, exactly. That's a factor. You've got to, it's a variable. You've got to factor in. That would be like under the A portion of decade. That's the analyze. <laughs> that's How, right. <laughs> I actually gave a speech back in 2015 or 16 at the college coaches convention. And I literally the night before my presentation was playing poker with a number of the college coaches and this drunk cowboy came walking up and I just dismantled this guy for about four grand and I actually changed my entire presentation that night to basically explain that hand but then relate it to golf you know we're in Vegas and I probably went up to the uh, to the podium with a vodka Red Bull in hand so let's uh, <laughs> let's have some fun but so it was really playing a lot of poker. And then I went back and, you know, I got to where I was playing pretty good golf. I entered Q school in 2008 as a 35 year old amateur, just because of a, a bet, honestly. Um, 
And I got through all four stages, which is, you know, something I didn't accomplish as a 25 year old as a full time playing professional. I'm the oldest amateur to make it to the final stage of Q school by 13 years, which I highly doubt will be broken just because nobody's dumb enough to enter Q school as a 35 year old amateur. But um, it was really then going out and playing for a couple of years with my math brain turned on, but still didn't have any actual data. And then in 2011 was when they started releasing the strokes gain putting statistics, which was the first time I realized anything about shot link or like anything at all was going on. And I quickly realized, like I wrote a thread, thank God, in 2011 on an online poker forum called two plus two that was just is dry for show, putt for dough really true. I like to think I was the first person to really start questioning that from a math basis. And so I had a couple of years of really starting to think and debate. It's funny that forum actually has like six guys that run analytics for like the Raptors and Chiefs. Like there's actual real data guys that have come out of this online poker forum, you know, hopefully including me. And um, then when the book was released, well, not the book was released, just some excerpts from the book were being released in late 2013. I realized I could take all of these launch monitor, you know, track man and quad shot pattern statistics and start intertwining them with strokes to hole out statistics. So if I know it, how many strokes it takes for me to hole out from here, and then I know how many strokes it takes to hole out from the next place, I can judge whether or not that was a good shot. But then it also just made me realize what, what, you know, it's funny as a guy who sells a stats portal for a living, I really don't find stats very interesting. For the most part, you kind of know what you need to work on. And sure, there's things we can tighten up, but you always run into sample size as a problem in golf. And so I don't really find those very interesting. I actually, unlike any other of the stats nerds, I use strokes gain statistics almost exclusively to teach people strategy. I should say the, the shot link data to teach people strategy, tour players at least. And then I use that those same that same logic and ideas in, in order to go through my players or my my members the decade members uh, stroke trails visuals to say this is an outlier shot and it's in a unique situation that it just doesn't quite make sense to me and ninety nine percent of the time when you finish around a golf and think you should have shot lower. Um, it's going to be because of a strategic or a mental mistake, not because of something physical like, duh, I should three putt less or I should hit seven irons better. But yeah. that's not really where it's buried. Well, I, and, and listen, there, I've got a, a bunch of you know notes from things that I've benefited from and talked about on the show this season. I, I shared some of them with you, Scott, when we were sort of doing some planning for my uh, senior am. But I want to get into you know, so this all came out in 2014. I want to get to the part where you decided, hey, there's so much of this information. I'll share it uh, in a system I call Decade. And uh, just to refresh everyone, in case you, you don't know the acronym, is Distance, Expectation, Correct Target, Analyze, Discipline, and Execute. And me personally, and we'll get into this later, what it did for me in 2017, and then subsequently in this spring when we had the lockdown, the number one takeaway for me was expectation management. All the other parts and, and, and discipline, expectations and disciplines for me were the biggest, uh, I think the single biggest uh, contributor to the handicap lowering that I had through this season. I'm going to get into that. But for you around 2014, 15, when did you say I can take all of this and make something of it? Well, I mean, it, it really was just creating decade. It wasn't obviously called decade at the time. It was just a math-based strategy deal for myself. Like I really, I'm pretty good at golf. I really would like to win the U.S. Mid-Am. 
in order to play in the Masters. And so when I got my amateur status back after going and playing professionally that second time was in 2013. And that's when the data started coming out. And I realized if I could optimize course management, everybody always talks about the Tiger and Jack were the two greatest course managers of all time. And I just started thinking, well, what if we could actually quantify that? And I'm the only one that knows it. Like, I really thought that I could beat people pretty bad. And so Zalatoris at the time was just a struggling junior, you know, heading off to Wake Forest that next fall for his freshman year. And I, you know, I had an injury that I've luckily now rectified with two elbow surgeries this year, but I had an injury. And so I called Will up to ask him if I could just caddy for me. He was just a junior golfer at my home course. And she said, let me caddy for you next week in the stadium. At the time, he'd really never won anything, uh, you know, but a high school golf tournament. Let me caddy for you. And, you know, if you just do what I tell you to do, you'll win. And, you know, he won by three, which I really didn't <laughs> just, think he would. Just do what I tell you to do <laughs> and you'll win. What, what, <laughs> I wish that worked with my teenagers. Just do what I tell you to do. Well, it wouldn't. If, if I were his dad, it, it would not have worked. But again, part of the deal, when I first, before I came, settled on the acronym decade, I bought the domains beyourowncaddy.com because as I was out there with him, I was like, man, I sure am being a whole lot nicer to him than I would to myself. Oh, totally. But what was important to that was I actually was meaning it. Like when he hit it off into the trees a few times, I was like, no big deal, dude. We're going to get it out of there. We're going to salvage bogey. It's not going to be the end of the world. And importantly, like I say, I actually believed that when I told him that it's just not that big of a deal. And, you know, so here we are plodding along in the first round and we were like six, you know, one under through six or seven. And I was just like, this is so dumb. This kid is so much better than like we're playing way too conservative, but we're under par, you know, screw it. Let's just finish this out. And he shot like 67 or eight in the first round. I was just like, that was so simple. It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. And we go back out the next day and, you know, he, he just runs the table the entire week. And even as the pressure started mounting, we really then doubled down on focusing on our targets and just letting, you know, variance dictate the great results and intentionally avoiding mistakes. And, you know, Jason Enloe, who I've known since we were in junior and college golf, he was the SMU coach at the time. He saw us out there at the Texas Amateur and walked a few holes and whatever. We talked a little bit about it, but not much. At the U.S. Junior then, we talked a little bit more and, and he called me after the U.S. Junior. He's like, dude, I don't, I, I kind of got an idea of what you're doing here, but Bryson plays way too aggressively. De DeChambeau, he plays way too aggressively. I feel like Bryson's entered the realm of a one, a one name person where, you know, when That's I right. say Tiger. Yeah, Bryson, yeah, exactly. Who, no, I think you're right. Yeah, Bryson's finally entered that. You know, I guess Brooks, it's nice to have a unique name. Scott doesn't really mean a whole lot. Mm. Um, yeah, believe me, no one's going, well, there is Howard, you know, Howard Stern. but uh, <laughs> So, so Bryson's coach calls you up and says, hey, how about you work with this kid? Yeah, that was the entire, I, I didn't have some master plan. I'm going to be talking to uh, humble Howard and Tim O'Connor down the road where I just was trying to help. Well, you don't want to dream that big, Scott. Easy now there, no, fella. No, no, no. That's, uh, you got to stay well, yeah. grounded, pal. Well, let's get yeah, into so some of the nuts and bolts then. Because sure. um, mm -hmm. we all, like, and again, a lot of the stuff that Scott has sort of set the table here today, a lot of it you can read and go to the golf. Uh, he's got a great um, article. Uh, I think it was Golf Digest, the last one that was uh, quite extensive about how it all started. But, but I think the takeaway is that you were a very, very good golfer. And a lot of people might go, well, that's great if you're Scott Fawcett or Bryson DeChambeau and you can play the game at that level. And one of the things I've talked about with Scott and we've talked a lot about on this show is how a, so many of these ideas inside the decade system, we'll say, are so germane for the average player. And, and I've said that I think that, uh, yeah, if you want to be a low handicap player or an elite amateur or be a professional, this is great. But if you're a 14 handicap, there's so many things inside of this 
that are simple and, and easy to understand. And you don't need to get into the, the nerdy stats at all. I want you to talk. Uh, what do you think of this statement? Sky, I, I've been quoting you for six months now by saying that, you know, you know, guys I play with that are wondering how I lowered my handicap. And I said, well, this guy Fawcett says it's easier to not do things than to do things. One of the first <laughs> things I when I started delving into the app itself and doing the foundations, I was like, what? <laughs> and one of the first things you say is stop trying to make birdies. And then you articulate it by saying it's easier to not do things. Talk about that. Well, again, that's the main one when I say I let my ability as a player let me see something different in the data than than the regular data people. That's really the main one I'm talking about because I, I know for me to, to really hit a shot that matters, and again, this is subject to so many caveats, but to really hit a shot that matters, you kind of need to get it inside of about eight feet. Well, shot patterns are so massive, there's really... I mean, even with a sand wedge, you just don't, I mean, especially at the amateur level, you just don't hit that many shots inside of eight feet, period. But it's not that hard to hit the green. But also, interestingly, middle of the green is usually bad advice also. It's why the game is just so hard to learn. And so, you know, really, it started about two years ago. I, I was just looking at some data in the app, and I honestly, I didn't realize how many guys bought the app and enter every single shot that averaged over 80. And I was looking at some of these numbers. I'm like, my God, there's a lot of really big scores in here. And so I had my data guys like, you know what? Find out what those people plugged in as their handicap. And then let's take a, a, their first five scores that they enter and compare it to the next 10 scores. And it was like 80% of the guys improved by over four shots in that time span. And I was like, that's just crazy, but it made me realize our initial product at the time was just Decade Light and Decade Elite. And Light was literally nothing more than a placeholder so we could get it in the app store. I did not put any effort whatsoever into it and, and nobody bought it. But when I saw how many people were buying the Elite version that were you know 80 plus shooters, I realized I needed to make content curated just with them in mind explicitly. So that's why I created foundations of, you know, basically from now through Valentine's Day two years ago, because I really wanted to address those things that guys, I, and I know you're not a 85 shooter, but to address those average type players, because um, it is just hard. So yes, it's easier to intentionally not lose strokes than it is to intentionally gain strokes. And that's, you know, it, it sounds like semantics, but it's really not when you're standing out there even on the PGA Tour from 130 yards, you're just not averaging that much under par. And it's those little pedantic mistakes and silly bogeys, again, that when you finish around a golf and you think you should have shot lower, it's always those, well, I made that bogey from 110, I three-putted from 20 foot from trying to make that putt. Those are the things that it's easier to just try to two-putt it, just make sure you hit the green, um, and then just let the variance within your shot pattern and approach shots create the tight shots and the variance within your shot pattern will just let the hole jump in the way of some 20 footers. But exactly. for the most part, we're trying to well, we're trying to tap in a whole bunch from 20 feet. And before well, you jump in there, to, Tim, I just want to clear this up because because sure. what Scott just said is part of the idea of if and I, and I just had this conversation a couple of days ago with I played with a couple of really good players the other day and we were all playing nicely. But we were talking about the idea and because and somebody asked me, you know, how did you get your handicap down i said well i stopped three putting and how i stopped three putting is i stopped trying to sink 25 foot putts like i realized yep. you know tim and i played a few years ago scott and i was hitting it pretty good that night we played on a little men's night tournament and i think i hit 13 greens that night and shot like 76 or 77 i asked tim after like what did you see in my putting and we were trying to think about what i was doing wrong but what i was mentally doing wrong was trying to sink 
30 foot putts. So not trying to make birdie with a 30 footer was easier. I found this year, just getting it, you know, working on speed. It seems simple, but that one little thing about not trying to make birdies from long distance, it really made a difference. Timmy, what were you going to say? Well, I was going to say that I think this really comes home to our listeners. The average player is just learning to make smarter decisions, you know, and what not to do. And the thing that was really concrete to me, the difference between, you know, I hit it in the woods or whatever, in the gunch, and then, you know, trying to hit like the little hero shot, you know, I'm going to hit the little draw here and hit it over there, rather than punch it out of the fairway, get it onto the green and make you know, sometimes make par, but a soft bogey at best. That made such a massive difference in my game. And one of the things that we talked about from what Howard says, it lowers the thermostat when you're making shots that are in your wheelhouse. There's not the same amount of tension or concern. Oh, is this going to work out? Whereas if you are trying to blast it out of the trees and hit this like little window, there's all this tension of what could go wrong. So that's my. I think it's interesting you bring that up too, because Scott, because I, 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 you know, we've basically spent 182 shows talking to people, you know, from teaching pros to mental, you know, PhDs about the mental side of the game. And what I love about what this system does is the strategy, understanding strategy and scoring, actually helps with the mental side of the game because, you know, we've all heard, you know, you know, play the safe shot. We, you know, don't follow a bad shot with another bad shot. But when you know that bogeys, you know, won't kill you at the amateur level, but, it, you know, if, if you know that a double bogey is a full, you know, stroke, one point, whatever stroke, strokes gained lost or whatever strokes lost, knowing that a bogey is going to be okay strategically helps you understand that, you know, thermostat wise or tension wise, it's not the worst thing. Soft bogeys and soft pars. But but the strategic part of of decade, the expectation management, I think, is one of the big takeaways. And again, it's a simple thing to say to somebody, stop trying to make birdies. Because, you know, if you want to be a scratch golfer, you got to make five or six birdies around. But as I the, found out... The one from, comment that I wanted to make from what you said earlier, though, Howard, was, you know, a 25-foot putt where you three-putted it by trying to make it. On the PGA Tour, 25-foot putts make rate is 12%. So if you never three-putted it, the strokes to hole out would be 1.88. The actual number on tour is 1.934. Like, we can almost round that up to 1.944. There's literally, you know, it's it's a five hundredths, which doesn't sound like much, but there's a five hundredths penalty even on tour from 25 feet that's related back to three putts. And if your make rate's only 12%, like, you just can't offset you can't make enough putts to offset those. You just, right. if you eliminate those silly three putts. Yeah. And again, I, I hate saying this because I'll three putt from 25 foot several times, you know, but it's just not that hard to two putt from 25 feet and, and just let the hole accidentally jump in the way of a few and your make rate will be fine. Well, yeah, you're, it's it's, it, you're right, Scott. It's not hard to two putt from 25 feet, but mentally, if you're trying to make it, if that's your, if that's your intention, then it is hard to, th- to, to, two, to three putt or to two putt from 25 feet. I, I, I can't tell you, like one of the first things that made the biggest difference for me was my three putt rate went down like it plummeted because I just made the adjustment that, in fact, I think in the decade app, it says the inflection point on the PGA Tour at 30 feet, they're as likely to make that putt as they, that's, that's when they start to, it's as it's likely that they're going to three yeah. putt as they are going to make it. 
Well, what's the rest of us? So for me, I, I've decided that my point is 20 feet. At 20 feet, I'm just starting to try and roll it up there. In fact, I said to Timmy, I don't even put the line on the ball until I'm within 15 feet or less. The rest of the time, I'm just knocking it up there so that I can just tap in the next one. So you think, well, I, how can I, if I want to be a scratch golfer, I have to make five birdies around. No, you don't. You just have to not three putt, no penalty shots, stop two chipping. And what's the other big one? Uh, I was looking at a stat over here, so I didn't catch what you were saying there. I knew where I was going to go. It, the Tiger Five yeah. is how many double bogeys, right. how double many bogeys. bogeys on par fives, how many three putts, how many blown easy saves, which we turn into two chips, and how many bogeys with nine iron or less, which we turn into bogeys from inside 150. There you go. Wow. I mean, but your question th that I was trying to look up over here was what's that number of strokes to hole out? I mean, and again, we don't, I look at putting as a totally separate game to ball striking. So rather than tracking it by handicap, I track it by your strokes gained putting performance. But if I had to guesstimate, I would bet the average scratches two putts. So it takes you two to get down is probably right around 25 feet. And I would bet it doesn't take very, very high to get that number down to 20 and then even 15 for your 10 plus handicaps. I mm -hmm. mean, it's just, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot shorter than you think. And again, you just can't make enough putts. Well, it's similar to, you know, the idea of one of Lou's great stats. Obviously, I've said forever that y'all suck to front hole locations for the PGA Tour players. And he does a great job with the data. He, he, he quantified that number and turned it into 160 to 180 in the fairway. The PGA Tour players hit 57% of greens to front hole locations and 71% of greens to back hole locations. Wow. Like, that's incredible. You can't make enough birdies to offset hitting 14% fewer greens solely due to poor target selection. Right. That's it. You just you can't do it. So I don't care what you are thinking to front hole locations. You, you simply can't try to attack them. Again, I'm even talking at the tour level here. And what's funny is I don't even show, I've, I've obviously got that one shot link image that I use so often with, you know, y'all suck to front hole locations. For this top 100 presentation I just gave, I actually showed them the third round hole location, which was the middle hole location to that exact same pin on 13 at Riviera. And there's only maybe 10 or 12 balls that are past even the middle hole location. Like, Coming up long, like that's one of the biggest old cliches that is just false. Well, it's true, but it's not a problem is that you can't make a living from going long on tour. Like you you can't make a living from going past the pin on the PGA Tour to a back hole location. But there's exactly zero humans on this planet that come up long too often. Mm -hmm. Everybody comes up short way too often to every single hole location. Timmy. Wow. Well, the thing that I find really interesting about about this is because, uh, like, Howard's taken the deep dive, quite frankly. I'm considering, Scott, really close to signing up for the elite package for next year, okay? so uh, you, don't want, you don't want to quit your job, do you? Because that's what I did. <laughs> I know, I know. No, but as, a, as an influencer, Tim, I'll give it to you, buddy. <laughs> oh, cool. All right. Well, there you go. Oh, that, was that the ask? I could have gotten it for you for free. Yeah, that was the ask. That was very strategic on my part. No, it wasn't. Um, okay. The area that has so interested me in golf for, for a long while now is how golfers, you know, they have a bad round and they immediately think, oh, it's my mechanics. I'm not in the slot. I'm doing this. This is, this is wrong. And so they start to go down. They go to the range and, you know, they, they have a thought about the thing to do. 
and then that's not working and then they try another thing and then they're down this just this rabbit hole of of mechanics and tension and just all these thoughts to me which is just really self-sabotaging self-interference um but what i think about what happens with decade is that if you're making sound strategic decisions you're that much less prone to making what we call a bad swing because you're going to feel more relaxed you're going to and it's just something that you know you can just see the shot your body's more comfortable you kind of have this unconscious sense of i got this that's my sense of it scott what's your take on that I mean, again, I don't I'm, I'm not an, an instructor. I don't I do not teach mechanics. And yet I essentially, in my opinion, talk players, even on the PGA Tour, just talk them into playing good pretty often. I had a call just a couple of weeks ago from an agent that said, you know, I've got a guy that's a world beater. Um, you know, he just doesn't quite seem to be getting it. Well, I go do a little dive into that guy's stats and he'd missed seven of his last 11 cuts dating all the way back to May, but he did have a fifth and an eighth place finish. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. Like that's one of the things I'm looking for, for to, to know you're trying to force things a little bit too much. And so you go in a little bit deeper and this guy's strokes game putting was just horrific. I mean, absolutely horrific. And I didn't go fly out to Vegas and give the guy a putting lesson. I said, dude, <laughs> you know, first of all, do you have the yips? No. Okay. I'm going to take you at your word on that. If you don't have the yips being negative two strokes game putting is literally impossible unless you're trying to make every single putt. You can go do a little bit of a long short. How many putts are you leaving short? And he's not leaving nearly enough short. And so my advice to that guy was, here's a couple speed drills that we're going to, you know, have you do. And then I need you to leave like 25 or 30% of your putts short from 20 feet and trust that that, you know, it's like a normal distribution curve of depth in putting. So I didn't work on his stroke at all. I told him to leave some putts short, stop trying to make putts. And the guy went out. His name is Keith Mitchell. He was 16 under through 27 holes that week with a five shot lead. <laughs> yeah. He finished third and gained 1.3 strokes gained putting for the week, which is, you know, five and changed for the week. He had been minus two for his first two events. He made $565,000 that week, finishing third, which is the second biggest check ever on tour. And I'm just laughing like, we didn't do anything and I need to negotiate percentages in advance. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> exactly. but, see, but what's interesting is that how this goes against golf culture, right? If you will, golf culture is you're not playing well, go to the range, dig it out of the dirt, take a lesson, whatever. What you were saying sounds absolutely, uh, I don't know, revolutionary. But it's also revolutionary no, simple. He's not leaving enough putts short. Yeah. I've never heard someone say that before. Well, that is so cool. If you were a decade uh, member like myself. Um, yeah, it's okay. But our most majority of our listeners are not, but they will be. But that is so cool. But it's one of the not things. Not leaving enough putts short. I'll tell you, Tim, it's one of the things that made me a better putter. Is because when you, when you read it. that, when you read that and you think, wait a second, I'm supposed to leave putts short. And I yeah. tracked all my stats this summer. And, and I, at one point, you know, the app actually urged me because that's what it does. The app will say, you know, OK, here's some areas you're you're having some trouble in or we think this might be. And I got pushed the ladder drill a couple times because most people, when they're 25 feet from the hole, they've heard you're supposed to hit every putt 17 inches, whatever Pels says, uh, yeah, one exactly. foot to 17 inches. But if you're not leaving enough of them short, too many of them are going by four and five feet. And even on the PGA Tour, the make rate at four feet is 88% or is it five feet, 
It's four feet. It's 88%. But most importantly, that's three foot, one inch to four foot. That's not even four foot. That's like three and a half foot is 88%. And again, the, the main thing that allows me to just see this information different is not just my ability as a player, but my lack of ability as a player. Yeah. Like my And my biggest holdup was not my physical skills. It was for sure my emotions. Like I was a absolute lunatic back in the day. <laughs> and I mean, I was a great ball striker, so I thought I could do anything with a shot. Yeah. So you're just constantly trying to force things. You're constantly trying to do far more than you're capable of, but then more importantly, far more than is necessary. And that's, again... I just use this can joke all the time, but if you're if you're finishing every round thinking you should have shot lower, you're either not as good as you think you are, or you made mental and strategic mistakes. There literally can be nothing else. Well, totally. you know, I, 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 and I didn't mean to cut you off, Tim, but you know, it's funny what Scott was saying about working with Keith Mitchell or other players. You know what? What I think, you know, traditionally in golf, if you had a bad putting round, like like the the round a few years ago, I played with Tim and I was like struggling with my putting and I couldn't figure it out. And I had to look at my stroke and go practice and practice. And I'm thinking, well, no one practices more than me. How am I not? And I, and I lamented this for years. I'm a, you know, skill wise, certainly hit it good enough to be scratch, but I struggled and struggled because of those type of mistakes. I thought the answer was solely is if I could just get my golf swing to be bulletproof, which no one's is, but I tried. I thought if I could just get that to be bulletproof, then eventually these scores would come down. But a simple little thing that you just said, try and leave 25 or 30% of your putt short. Well, all of a sudden I stopped three putting. So there were three shots around on average where I was gaining strokes on the green from simply not sinking anymore, just sinking, not having as many three putts. And the entire system is littered with stuff like that. But I love even this. If you, yeah, go ahead, even Scott. Even if you were bulletproof, like we're going to make our swings perfect and bulletproof, even if you did accomplish that, Golf is the largest outdoor sport played with the ball in the air, the longest of any sport. And a 10 mile an hour wind isn't 10 miles an hour. It's five to 15, 20 miles an hour. Isn't 20 miles an hour. It's 10 to 30. That variance in wind makes even a robot not play the game. Well, I mean, right. again, we all remember that robot that at TPC Scottsdale a few years ago that hit the hole in one is like, Oh my God, this robot hit a hole in one. Yeah. It also missed the green left and right. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, again, I, I do feel like people leave my seminar pretty dejected quite often. Like, why am I playing this game if it's so hard? But the game is simply so hard that you have to play it correctly, which yeah. at the end of the day then makes it really easy, especially if you understand the data, not from some sort of a rocket scientist data standpoint, but from some sort of a lunatic expectation management standpoint. That's what the data is best for. And I feel like, again, that's that's the one thing that I really focus in on with my players, but really back to Keith Mitchell, because it's not, it wasn't just putting here. He is, he's been consistently one of, you know, his four or five years on tour. He's been in the top 10 in strokes gain driving like three of the four years. And it was like 20th the other year. And he's 150th or worse, basically every year in strokes gained approach. And what I have to tell a guy like that is you're a world beater. Everybody says you, you stripe it. Tell me about your driver, Keith. Do you work it both ways? No, I only hit a cut. Tell me about your irons, Keith. Do you work it both ways? Well, yeah. How's that working out? And it's just funny because one of the main things that I get from people is everything I teach is common sense. I'm like, here's a PGA Tour winner that had never heard of approach putt performance, and he hadn't put together 
I'm not working my irons really well. And what I got to tell a guy like that is like, look, dude, I'm just not buying it that you're great with your driver and you can't hit a gap wedge. And if you can't (laughs) put it back two balls in your stance and hit down on it and it's going to pan out. You're trying to work it too much both ways because you're trying to make birdie with your second shot. You're not trying to make birdie with variance. And that's the difference. You make birdies with variance, not by intentionally as a fader stepping up there and drawing this six iron from 210 to a back left hole location. Like, it's just insane. Again, I don't disagree that that should be common sense. And it is once you see it. Yeah. But it sure as hell isn't before you see it. Again, it, 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 it's so interesting to me is that, okay, leave putts short. Oh, yeah. And risk being called Alice. <laughs> or people yeah. who go like, okay, well, I'm supposed to. Okay, it's, I'm a right-hander and it's a back left. It's supposed to draw this in. And so people, you know, and then they have another shot. It's a, it, it's a front right. I'm going to fade it in. Well, goodness, if you're like a 10 handicap and you play once or twice a week, good luck working it both ways. So I, I just think it's a, well, you say it's common sense. But again, it, it goes against this golf culture of, of expectations. Oh, how will I be judged as a, as a player, et cetera. Whereas I think what I think is just so cool, Scott, is that you've shown it makes way more sense to rely on. This is your shot. If you hit a fade, hit the gosh darn fade, even if well, you got to draw a situation. That's, you know, obviously I'm giving one of my former associates a hard time by saying, you know, what does a six know about the game really at the end of the day? But I posted a video about Tiger doing the nine box drill that someone had posted recently and the fades were just dead straight. And then it was like the wind, like it was blowing about four off the right. No, he just didn't quite fade it. The nine box drill is hard. And then that other guy, he posts. I'm a big proponent of practicing this way. And I'm like, you're a six. You don't actually work with players. You're not an instructor. (laughs) Maybe that's why you're a six. And again, sixes are decent players, but I just wrote, don't really care that you think practicing with a nine box drill is great because it's not working for basically anyone tour players included. And again, even a guy like Tiger, who I'm the biggest Tiger lover on the planet, he's really, really good at doing the nine box drill with his irons. And he's, horrendous at it with his driver and and there's also not anything to say that just because he's really good at doing with his irons and he's one of the best iron players of all time that he wouldn't be better if he did it a little bit less like that's possible it's entirely possible but i think the point is is if you're a six handicap and you're trying to hit draws into back left flags uh you're not tiger No, and, and I will and tell you, Thomas doesn't even try and do. Well, it. you know, but I will tell you, I used to do that. That was my part of my strategy, and then this year I stopped. You know, I'm like, okay, I I sort of gently hit a a bit of a draw most of the time, and the odd time when I block it, part of my you know shot pattern. Well, yeah, that happens too. Sometimes I hit the hot pull. Yes, that shows up, but it. And I don't know if we're doing a great job today of really because I'm so excited to have Scott here. I got to be honest. I'm with doing you. a great job. No, you're doing you. a great job. <laughs> But I don't know if we're doing a great job of contextualizing this because I'm so excited to have you here. I've got a thousand things I want to say to you. Um, But just generally, again, back to the reason we do this show is that Tim and I are intensely interested in how, you know, your mental, you know, acumen and your mental state, state management. It's a big, you know, buzzword here on Swing Thoughts. 
but but I was you know and it's it's legendary on the show how many clubs I threw how angry I got how much I pouted what a big suck I was how I was not fun to play with and I was never as good as I thought I should be I had a guy say this to my face a couple years ago you should be better than you are very few people would say that because considering how much I tried to practice got lessons went to teachers famous and not famous and it wasn't until I took the seminar that I started to make these incremental changes. So when I say I'm excited to do this show with you, it's because I couldn't have tried any harder. You know, Tim knows me very well. Nobody tried harder at the amateur level than I did. And I, when I met Scott um, in 2017, I sent you a note. You wouldn't remember this, but shortly after that seminar, I had my lowest round in years. And then over the course of three or four summers, I got better and better. But it was until this lockdown, and I wrote it down here. The lockdown ended on, uh, I think it was the 24th of May. And I was, a, uh, I was about a 2.2 at that point. My lowest handicap last summer was 1.9. I sent Fawcett a note after studying a decade for six weeks. I said, hey, I'm a 1.9 or so. Um, what are my chances? Do you think I can? No, I said, do you think I can get to scratch this year? And he wrote me back one word, guaranteed. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's pretty cocky. He said, I guarantee it. He said, if you, if you work this system, and then on June 29th, my handicap went down to 0.9. On July 2nd, it was 0.2, and I'm a plus one now. And I haven't gotten, I, well, and thank you, but Tim's played golf with me recently and over the years. I hit it pretty good. I'm not hitting it any that much better than I ever did. Would you agree? You know, oh, yeah, 100%. Me, yeah, yeah, I mean, the day I shot 76, I didn't hit it much better than when you played with me and I shot even par. But even yeah. par is now my standard score. You know, I've done my stats. I had more rounds under par, more rounds under 70, more rounds of par or better. And why? I, I, my skill level didn't change, but my strategy and my scoring ability. I'll finish this uh, um, sermon Screed. by saying my strategy... <laughs> My strategy ability really informed my scoring in a profound way. Because if you go from two to zero, then that's, you know, that's very, very difficult. And again, as I say, I, tr I couldn't have tried harder before I met you. It was unbelievable. I mean, again, it's a very Yoda thing to say, but, you know, to gain control, one must give up control. It just really is. There's, there's, there are some great old cliches that are just true. And I mean, again, I get emails. It, it's, it's awesome, but it's also challenging. I get emails and direct messages every single day. Well, someone will send me a wall of text that is just like, I got to read this. I mean, this guy put this much effort into sending me this and it's praising me. And, and then I got to reply and I don't want to reply with just yay. So <laughs> way to go, son. Be, but I get those every single day. And it's just, it is amazing to just, to just see Again, I'm not gonna say it's easy. It, it takes, it's it's really really hard to play patient, disciplined golf. It is the yes. entire reason that I started talking about expectation management and discipline. That's why, because if you'd asked me seven years ago when I first started doing this, I would have told you I'm a math whiz. This is all math. It's the strategy. Seven years removed, it is all the psychology. It is all that is all that it is. I have said this for years that the most important stat that you can track in the decade app is the mental scorecard. I really do not find statistics very interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I got a, a tour player today, a, a, a European challenge tour player that asked me to look at his stats. 
He's averaging 69 and a half while losing a, a stroke putting. I go to all his make rates. They're all terrible. And at the end of the day, I'm like, well, let's just pretend you do have the yips. We, well, there's nothing we can do about that. So what are we going to do in order to to putt better? We're going to work on our speed because his speed control is just terrible. You can you can see that in the data also. So at the end of the day, work on your speed. Stop trying to make putts. You can't really be worse than negative one at that level. Like, it's pretty hard to do that for a season. You've got to be pretty yippy. But once you understand to just focus on your speed, the hole will magically jump in the way of some 20-foot putts. And that gains you almost a full shot back. And so you can afford to have a pretty low make rate. I mean, it's pretty much impossible to be more than about 10% worse in any given bucket and, you know, inside of the, the five to eight foot range on tour. So even if you're terrible you know, from three to five foot, they have 2.6 putts in that bucket per, per day. Even if you are 10% worse, which would be, I mean, literally impossible to do on tour. Well, 2.6 attempts times 10% worse is a quarter of a shot. It's, it's not ideal, but it's also not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. It's the end of the world when you let that quarter of a shot impact your next shot or your next spot. That's bad. But just missing, I mean, even what would be an astronomical amount of putts from three to five foot. Again, I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but it really doesn't matter much because you can offset those with a disproportionately high make rate from outside 20 feet. And I think that's the one that actually will be interesting to see how those type of make rates shake out when we refresh strokes gain statistics over the next five years will those baseline numbers change and i certainly expect they will because again i I just i mean literally with almost 100 percent success rate when i talk to a player for the first time that week and walk them through everything so they're they're fresh and they're excited about it Mm -hmm. they have one of their best events ever literally almost 100 percent of the time it's fascinating and congratulations scott it's just so cool to see uh how this is developed from your own game and what you've done in your career. I know in all, sinc- all sincerity, congratulations. Thank you. And what I find really fascinating about this is that a lot of people would say, oh, hey, look, I'm not interested in data analytics. Hey, I'm going out to play golf and have, have fun. Mm-hmm. But the majority of golfers who say they're going out to have fun they want to control their life. They want to control their score. So they, they go out and say, I'm committed to doing this to my swing today. I'm going to pause at the top or I'm going to lead you know, with my left hip, et cetera. All this kind of stuff. Because why? Because we're under this delusion that our life will be better if we're trying to control it. We're trying to control it. But here you're saying, this is, so, this is what I find so fascinating. You come from a combined playing background with obviously like your freaking math whiz. I just love hearing you talk and pull these numbers <laughs> from the air. But it's a psychology of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's coming at it in a different way. And it's mm-hmm. giving up control to gain control. Again, it goes against this culture that we've got, this big culture and this golf culture. Well, I just laugh at everything. We we tell ourselves all these little stories that aren't necessarily based in fact or truth. And then we live our lives by it for however long, you know, and perfectionism is not a people tell me say all the time they wear it like a badge of honor. Well, I'm kind of a perfectionist. Well, that's a shitty thing to be. I yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, I'm a recovering yeah. perfectionist. Oh, no, I, was say, I know yeah. what you're talking about. I, my, one of my daughters goes, Daddy, I'm pretty sure you have ADHD. I'm like, is that good? No, it's not good. You know, yeah, it's a little I mean, it's that obsessive nature. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you're sitting here looking at this simulator right behind me here that I've got this putting green tilted at 1.5%. I'm terrible with tools. And when the guys that were in here trying to build it for me were screwing around with it, I'm like, just let me do it. Cause I couldn't even handle watching him screw <laughs> up. And, and I, so trust me, I'm, I'm, I'm reforming, not reform yeah, perfectionist, it, but it is understanding that saying you're a perfectionist is a huge limiting belief. It is going to it's going to give you the, well, I'm a perfectionist, so I can just maintain, you know, remain a lunatic. And it's like, well, again, as I jokingly say to people all the time, like, how's that panning out? Yeah, how's well, that why am I you? talking to you if it's working? Yeah. <laughs> I don't talk to guys when they're doing well. I mean, DJ is not calling me, hey, bro, can you help me? Like, no, dude, you're, what you're doing is working, man. Keep doing that. I'm getting the guys that are kind of struggling, but they're the people that feel like they're better than they are, which most of us are. And once you can kind of let them see through that, again, that limiting belief, limiting factor and just remove it, it's just, again, it's just not that difficult. But you know, to be. Scott, Tim and I have had endless conversations with each other and experts about mental uh, state and, and the mental side of the game. And and one, one of the things you say, uh, one of the seminars I've watched, you'd, you know, I've watched hundreds of hours of faucet material. So one of the things you've said was the discipline is easy to understand, hard to do. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you're supposed to do is easy, you know, and, and I've said this, Tim said it, and you've proved it. If I caddied for a 12 handicap right now, I guarantee you I could have them break 80. I guarantee it because I would never let them hit a shot that I that I didn't think they could handle. And and when they're short sided, I have them hit the middle of the green, all those things that we know to do. But when you're when you don't have a caddy, you know, part of what is difficult about the game is. You're in a situation, you know what you're supposed to do, but having the discipline to do it is one of the hardest things in decade. Well, it's funny how the brain works because there's just little things that pop up in your mind and I'm like, I haven't thought of this in so long, it's ridiculous. But when I first quit playing professionally in 2001, I started an electricity company when Texas deregulated. And when I would take clients out for golf from, you know, 02 through 05 or so, they would always be like, what am I doing my swing? I'm like, dude, I don't teach the swing. I honestly have no idea. I was just working with Como. So I knew there was more to the golf swing than what we thought with just these static poses and images. So I knew... I could tell you something, but honestly, it may or may not be right. But I did each time say, you know what? Let's do this today. Let me just tell you what to do on each shot. Right. And I'm telling you, they shot their personal best like over 50% of the time, which probably literally explains why my electricity company was as successful as it was <laughs> because I helped all these guys who, who are asset managers play better golf. I literally, again, I never would have thought about that. So even as an idiot at the time playing professional, but again, once I was just caddying for someone else, a 12 and telling him what to do, I mean, I'd get him to, to, to shoot in the mid seventies. I mean, so consistently it yep. was ridiculous by exactly what you just said. Hey, you got a 24, dude, just lag it down here. Got, you're in the trees. Let's just all make double. Yeah. And, and once you finish out around, you're like, wow, that just wasn't that difficult. I didn't do anything crazy. I just removed the dumb stuff, which again, circling back to my main thesis is when you finish a round of golf, those are the, those are the things you think you should have done different. You've got to recognize those in advance in real time. This is a spot where if I do happen to shoot a couple shots higher it's probably going to be because i screw this up let's just don't screw this up and then you wind up shooting a nice score i was gonna say timmy's worked with a lot of players tim and you've helped a lot of people you know settle them down work on their mental state um 
But I think something like this, along with the work that you're doing, I think would help them actually physically lower their scores because they've oh, already lowered their temperature. And as I've said a bunch of times this summer, you know, to keep your internal thermostat at sort of strokes gain neutral, you know, is part of the, the thing that makes the game a little bit easier, Timmy. Well, absolutely. And this definitely influenced my coaching of the University of Guelph golf team of uh, this year. So one of the things that in terms of that piece around discipline, easy to understand, hard to do mm-hmm. in all parts of our lives is, is, is it comes down to basically what are you committed to? Right. And if we're not committed to something, it's so easy to wriggle out of this thing that I said I'm going to do. And one of the things that I asked players before every tournament is what you're, com- what are you committed to? And a lot of it was around making smart shots from a place of emotional neutrality. If they could do that, they would play better. Sure. Our, team, our, our men's team won one invitational, finished second in another, finished third in Ontario, advanced to the national championship. Um, they hit the shots. And a thing that one of our players, our, a first-year player on our women's team, she won the Ontario Individual Championship, first time in the history of the university. And a key nice. part of it, a key part of it was making good decisions and being committed to it. And it it made a drastic difference in our, in our team this Huge. year. Well, it's funny because as, as I was, as Howard was talking, I was making some notes over here of what I wanted to say next. And I do believe exactly what you just said there, Tim. I do believe that the outlier shots that they hit are all due to a lack of commitment, a lack of clarity, or you do pick a good target and then you kind of hope you pull or push it by the pin. Mm-hmm. That's what I try to tell people all the time. It's like, you've never hit a shot on a range and hope you pull it 15 feet. <laughs> yet, yet all the time we are on the golf course and we're aiming 15 feet right of a pin and then hoping we pull it tight. And it's, Again, that's one of the things that's just well, patently obviously dumb. It's incredible. But every tour player that I work with, that's when they're struggling, they're like, dude, I'm doing that like nine shots around. Mm-hmm. There you go. And so these outlier shots, again, I, I show people Aaron Wise's shot pattern from a little practice session we were doing. And it was 20 shots with a seven iron at 190 yards. And discounting a, an outlier, the shot pattern was still 26 yards wide. The, the 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 15th hole at Innisbrook on the Copperhead course on the PGA Tour, I use that green because it is 27 yards wide. It is essentially the exact width of Aaron's shot pattern. And when I show people Aaron's seven iron shot pattern, they're always like, there's no way it's that big. Mm-hmm. Okay, then why is it literally twice that size on an actual golf hole on tour? That's because you've got guys, it's, it's this front left hole location. They're trying to draw it to the front left hole location. They're either flare double crossing it or smothering it, or they're aiming to towards the middle and kind of hoping they pull it. It's just a whole bunch of guys, again, even at the tour level that are out there basically, I mean, just winging it. It's, it's, yep. it's so comically dumb. It's mind boggling in hindsight. But again, I only know that they do this because I did it and I just did it worse than they did, which is why I didn't make it. You know, one of the things in decade, and again, I use this quote all the time and, and, and until you hear this, I shouldn't let me put it this way as soon as you hear this you go oh for years I think if someone would have asked me I would have said okay is 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 your shot pattern a rifle or a shotgun well I would have thought okay well you're aiming like you're aiming a rifle but as you say in in decade 
It's a shotgun blast. And you, the thing is, even if you're the best player in the world, you don't know what shot's coming. So the idea is to aim correctly so that over the course of 20 shots, now your Aaron Wise example is so good because it's one mm -hmm. of the best players on earth and his seven iron dispersion is what Scott's talking about is 26 yards. The rest of us suck at this. What's our, dis what's our dispersion supposed to be? So if you're a guy like me that, go ahead. I was just saying the funny part about that Aaron Wise shot pattern too is he was trying to hit it technically 188 and it's the only place he didn't hit it. Like he, it's literally like a donut around his target. <laughs> and I say this as a joke. Aaron at the time was the reigning PGA Tour Rookie of the Year. He'd won on tour just a couple months earlier. Like this dude's really, really good at golf. He's right. clearly better than I've ever been at golf. So I'm not poking fun at no, him. No, for sure. Like, it's the only place he didn't hit it. But when you use that example, <laughs> you use that example for an eight handicap and you're 175 to the green and you happen to be hot pull comes up or block it right. My problem was I didn't know this. And so I would get mad at myself. I, and I was trying to be this disciplined golfer and I had this show about the mental side, but I'd still get pissed at myself thinking mm -hmm. I was supposed to hit better shots than I was. You know, I used the example the other day is to somebody I was playing with, a higher handicap guy was 11 or 10 yards off the green and pitched it to about 15 feet. And I said, good job. He's like, yeah, I wanted to hit it closer. I go, well, you know, on the, on the PGA Tour at 11 yards, their, you know, their whole proximity isn't a foot. It's like yeah. six or seven or eight feet. And when you know that, it lowers your, it helps with your expectation management. And I'll tell mm -hmm. you, it, it is one of the things that made the single biggest difference is understanding that I didn't need to be perfect. I didn't, I just needed to not be, you know, to not hit those outlier shots and then to be happy with what the results that I got. Well, again, this just isn't common sense. So even at the top 100, I'm speaking to three of golf magazine's top 100 teachers in the world. And we're standing next to this circular table and it looked to me like it was about six foot in diameter, not much more, not much less. And I pointed that table because we're talking about putting and speed and everything. I'm like, pretend the, the hole was cut in the middle of that. How far do you think you could go out and still lag it inside of that circle? Not 100 percent of the time, just 75 percent of the time. And they were all like, I don't know, 50, maybe 60 feet. On tour, they get about 75% of their first putts inside of 10% of the length of the putt from outside 30 feet. So 30 feet, they're going to get about 10% within three foot, which is a six foot diameter. I'm like, you're saying wow. 50 or 60, and it's like 30, maybe 35. Right. And it's just unreal when you start looking at these things like I feel like I could chip it inside of that. Once you put a once you put a six foot circle out there, it's really big looking. Yeah. Now go put a 16 foot circle around it and just say chip it inside of that, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What I find you really interesting. Again, what fascinating is that you are exploding a lot of things that people take as truths or maxims. You know, you have to try, like, I remember when Bob Rotella back and I, he started to say, you have to try to make every putt, you know, or pick out the smallest target possible. You know, if you're going to hit a shot, you're not aiming at the back pin, you're, you're aiming at this leaf. And what I think you're doing with that example there is showing that a lot of this stuff that we take as the God's truth in golf is in fact not true. Which well, is to show some semblance of humility back whenever I was working with Maverick. <laughs> some you, semblance. you don't need to on this show, Scott. I know who you are. <laughs> Just to show some semblance of humility back when Maverick was still, Maverick Munili was still in college. 
you know, he was asking me, he's like, find me something to work on. And so I was going through his stats and I was like, you know, you could leave a few more putts short. And he went, you know, I'll never say another word to a positive strokes game putter in my entire life because it totally screwed him up for a little while because he's out there trying. And finally we deciphered. He's like, I just, I don't feel like I'm being aggressive. And so the, the little cliche that I want to bring into the game is I need you to feel aggressive while not being aggressive. Right. That's the thing. When you listen to guys like Mickelson talk about, you know, I'm being aggressive from 20 feet. Well, then I go dig into his stats that week and he's literally leaving 30, 40% of his putts from 10 to 30 feet short while having a great strokes gain putting week. And it's like, I believe, I don't think he's BSing. I think he believes that. I think he's believes he's being aggressive, but I guarantee you not many people would think Phil Mickelson saying I'm putting aggressively would be leaving 30% of his putts short. And, you know, I mean, what's funny is like even Keith Mitchell at the CJ cup, he, he would basically went brain dead making every single putt that he was looking at. And he still left 20% of his putts. I, I should look at this cause I, I haven't quoted enough, but it's from like 20 to 15 to 20 feet, 15 to 25 feet, something like that. He left 20% of his putt short. Now he made basically every other single putt that he made, <laughs> but some of those makes should have, you know, on a normal week will should have come up short. A few of them should have gone long, but he's still, even while making basically everything, he still left 20% of his putt short. You know, and one of the things, one of the fallacies of watching tournament golf as much as a lot of us nerds do is, and, I, and again, I've had this conversation, I'm sure Tim has as well, where, where I'll talk to somebody, they'll say, they'll, they, they won't believe one of the stats I give them. I say, you know, on the PGA Tour from 150 yards, 75% of the time, uh, they hit the green. And the rest of us suck. Um, when, you know, so, and they'll say, really? I go, listen, when you're watching golf on television, you're watching the best players have a great week. When we talk about average proximity to holes and, and strokes gained, we're talking about the Thursday, Friday guys as well. You know, oh, we're, we're not, we're talking about the guys that had an okay, that shot 71, 70 and missed the cut. Well, the problem is, is everybody wants to go out and they want to hit the hero shot and remember it. Like, right. And again, like, I don't disagree that maybe it's well, I do disagree, but I'm trying to be nice. I, maybe it is fun to pull off the hero shot. Yeah. But how many of those hero shots do you pull off to actually get to brag about in the 19th hole? I mean, one in 20. I, I just I think it's far more frustrating to have 19. Why the hell did I just try that? That was a bad idea. Than one. I pulled it off and you won't believe this. I mm -hmm. hit it to nine feet. Like, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just not um, well. I mean, I honestly I almost had a hole in one on the cradle at, at Piners this this week. I hit it about a, an inch dead in the heart short. I was aiming right at the pin. Well, you know what? I actually landed it about six foot right, and it took a hop down towards the pin. Mm -hmm. Like, had that gone in, yes, I was aiming at the hole, but it's not actually where I hit it. I, it landed out to the right and kicked down there towards it. But I sure as heck would. Well, I, I would because I'm an idiot. I would have told everybody that's not where I was aiming with what, <laughs> yeah, technically. No kidding. But like when Zalatoris had his all-in-one in the U.S. Open, you know, Sean Martin, love you, Sean. Sean was tweeted out, Will Zalatoris just had a hole-in-one in the U.S. Open, and all Scott Fawcett will want to say, talk about is how he wasn't aiming at the flag. <laughs> that's right. That's not his target. I don't text yeah. Zalatoris, nice round, nice hole-in-one. I text him after the round, where were you aiming? Four yards right. So I naturally post that. Like, you're right, Sean. He wasn't aiming that's at the right. flag. That's right. That was the I hot pole that important. showed up. Well, yeah, I love that I mean, because I love that because what you're talking about is that in this game played by human beings outside, you talk about variance, luck plays a huge role. Mm -hmm. And and that's the thing I think a lot of people don't get get about this game is that particularly in putting that 
as I love the way you said it, sometimes the hole jumps in the way, yeah. which is luck. With the long drive, the, the fairway jumps in the way. This is, again, the, I obviously helped Bryson for a long time. I just still consult Como on what they're going to go out and try to attack golf courses. And I'm telling him every single tee shot that doesn't go left or right, because Bryson likes to draw the driver, every other tee shot is a green light for driver. Now, on 18, it didn't quite work because he couldn't bend it enough and everything was just going to run through in the, into the bunker. So he did drop back there for that reason. But get up there and hammer this thing as hard as you can. And the fairway is going to magically jump in a way. And again, I should add the caveat within reason. Like, you know, you're not just literally swinging out of your shoes, whatever the maximum distance you can put on it and still find it. That's probably about how hard you should be hitting it and stop worrying about. I mean, again, people are, they'll, they'll look at my stats or look at stats on tour all the time. Be like, well, he's only hitting 57% of the fairways. Is that good or bad? I, I don't know. How far does he hit it? What club is he hitting off the tee? If he's hitting mm-hmm. a pitching wedge off the tee and only hitting 57%, that's probably not very good. If he's hitting driver 340, that's probably mind-boggling. But most importantly, even hitting 10% more fairways, there's only 14 tee shots around typically. That's only one and a half more fairways. Right. It's just not that big of a deal. Um, I want to start to uh, wrap things up, and then I want to get back to something Tim said uh, about what you know, a lot of a lot of men in particular, but people that play golf, you know, they say they're playing for fun, but then they get mad when they don't make a good score. And one Defense of the things mechanism. Yeah. Well, you know, but <laughs> and, and we talk a lot about this, Scott, about how uh, men in particular don't like to. It's almost like, well, you know, they, they almost build in an excuse of they don't want to seem to be trying too hard, you know. But I, I've learned from all kinds of golfers that, you know, most guys want to shoot lower scores doesn't matter if you're a scratch or a 10 handicap. But one of the things you said, Tim, reminded me of like, what do you stand for as a golfer? And, and I've said to this, a bunch of guys this summer, if you stand for lower scores, if that's what you stand for, then, it, then you need to um, conduct yourself accordingly. Because don't tell me you want to shoot a lower score and you're trying to fit it in through some trees over a, a hazard onto the green, a shot that you might pull off once in a lifetime. Well, that's not standing for a lower score. I, I've said this a bunch of times too, that wherever I am on the golf, score, golf course, I'm making a decision at that point. What's the lowest score I can make from here to the hole? And I just do that, as you said, Scott, just rinse and repeat. Just make that decision every time for 18 holes. But what is it, Tim, that stands in the way, men in particular? Why can't we live that? Why why don't we live that word? We say we want to shoot lower scores, but in reality, we're just trying to look good. Well, I think a lot of it is that we're concerned. How are we going to look Mm-hmm. Am I going to look like, you know, I'm a, a, am I a brave person, my courage, to have confidence in my game, or, you know, am I Mickey Mouse? And yeah. I think that that, that always seeking external validation piece is huge. You know, it's, it's you know, why, why do people fall susceptible to car advertising or, 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 you know, just doing things that don't make sense on the golf course is how will we be evaluated? Right. And I think when we get, that's why I always come back to this, well, often to that piece of commitment. What are you really committed to? Oh, I, th- I think that's honestly probably a brilliant way to end it up, Howard. That's why you're so good at this. But I, I stand for lower scores, too. Yeah. I can't believe how many people come into my threads on social media and like, 
you're not making the game very fun. Fine, don't follow me. Like, <laughs> That's I don't. Right. Notice I don't log into the golf course architecture threads and talk about the word Dan and Capels. I don't give a shit about them <laughs> at all. There's nothing on this planet. I'm a math guy. I can't write a sentence to save my life. I damn sure don't like art. So that's not my deal. And if it's your deal, knock yourself out. I just, when people say, doesn't this make it not fun? I'm like, I, no, I, I don't like being frustrated on the golf course, being more over par than I need to be. Right. And I just don't get the argument whatsoever. But now again, I do realize as I've been teaching this for a few years, there's a lot of people that are into trying the, the hitting, playing hickory. I, at Piners, I couldn't tell you how many bags were full of hickory shafts and persimmon woods. And all I was thinking to myself was, that's a defense mechanism because you don't want to show up at number two with your sticks and shoot 87. Yep. You want to say, I shot 91 with hickories. That is my <laughs> God's honest belief. I believe and you too, man. Yeah. I think that if anybody was actually introspective and like honest with themselves, you don't have to tell me how oh, you're right, Scott. That's why you're doing it. I don't believe it for uh, any other reason. Maybe. I mean, there, there could be somebody that has, a, you know, an interest in historical golf and that's fine. But I've said this a no bunch doubt. of times that if you stand for lower scores, which most guys when they're not when if as they're driving home frustrated from another day of the golf course. Uh, you know, again, Tim's known me for a long, long enough to know that my frustration level has shrunk so much because I, because I did stand for lower scores. And, but I actually, as I said earlier in the show, the discipline to do it is the hardest part of decade. Hands down. It's the easiest thing you'll understand when you get the app. Just go to decade.com and you can fi find it on your own. But when you get there, you'll be I like, oh, I understand. Decade.com. I don't know where that'll take you. It, where is it not decade.com? What is it? <laughs> Playinglesson.com. Okay, or Oh, that's right. It's not the actual <laughs> thing. But just, go, just go Google decade and figure it out. <laughs> yeah, you'll but, find but it. But <laughs> very early on, you'll go, oh, I understand this. But when you're standing on the golf course, and that's the last thing I'll say. I'm playing in the senior am. I'm excited. I'm having the best summer of golf. My handicap's never been lower. And I'm playing in one of the biggest tournaments I'll play all summer. I've told the story on the show. I go bogey in the first hole. I'm, by the way, I'm also playing with the 2019 Senior Am champion. I want him to know I can play golf. So there's all that shit going on. I bogey the first <laughs> hole. I bogey the second hole. The two guys I'm playing with, par, par. I'm, I'm on the third tee and I smother hook it into the trees. The only way we find the ball is because there's a volunteer spotting. See my ball. I'm 160 from the flag in between two trees over a hazard to the green. I'm on the golf course. I've made two bogeys in a row and I'm looking through the trees thinking, nope, I'm going to go sideways. I'm going to make another bogey, but that's okay because I'm not going to make whatever that I, I can tell you this, Scott, two years ago, I would have tried that shot. I would have hit it in the, I would have hit a tree. I would have been back in the hazard. I would have made a triple bogey and that would have been the tournament. But the, but the fact that I made the bogey, I had the discipline and the habit of being in that situation that I hit it sideways. I hit it on the green and made my bogey. It just kept me neutral because I knew I'd made the right decision. And I can tell you, as I finished today, like that alone, that little nugget alone is the point of standing from a lower for a lower score because I didn't care that I'd made the two bogeys already. I wasn't going to make worse than bogey from where I stood because that's really it's the just, whole. It's just it's just irrelevant anyways. There's nothing you can do to force it back. I mean, that kind of reminds me when I played in the 2019 U.S. Mid-Am. My daughter's birthday was the day before the first round, so I'm going to be super dad and stay there and catch a nine o'clock flight. I got in my hotel room at one o'clock in the morning for my 730 in the first round tea time. 
and I went out and I bogeyed the first three holes and I'm standing on 14. I'm thinking, well, you're an idiot, dude. This, there was no way this was going to work out. But then I'm also like fighting the battle like, well, you, you can't miss your daughter's 10th birthday or whatever it was. Like you did the right thing, but damn it. I re-. But then I was like, well, you're here. It's just pretend we're even like you don't know what's coming next i turned it even yeah like you just i played really good you know and and i was in like i don't even know i feel like i was in like about 10th or 15th place through the first round but here i am having this like battle with myself on 4t and there's nobody that knows this stuff or believes in it more than me on the planet but it's what i tell people all the time i could tech i could teach you decade in about 15 minutes and my seminar is four hours long it's because it takes you that long to understand the why and the why is what makes you commit to anything and and i'll tell you tim the reason i bring that story up again is because in a in a very you know in a round of significance the biggest tournament i'm going to play in that moment my my strategy understanding kept my mental you know balance you know i i just felt okay about it Whereas I know in, in years past, I would have had all those things and I'm playing with these guys. I want them, you know, I'm in a tournament because I'll tell you the swing I made on the fourth hole was 172, 72 yard, uh, Linda, the wind six iron that I pulled to about three feet and made the birdie. I swear to God, I pulled it. I was, <laughs> I was aiming down the right hand side of that green and the hot pull showed up, but it was because I was in a good place to make that swing that it worked out. And that's the, the final thing I think for people to take away that the strategy informs the scoring, but it also helps your skill level oh, because when you're not throwing clubs after you've made a triple, you're in a place where you can, you can sort of execute shots without all that noise, Timmy. Yeah. Well, the thing that I want to just add on as a kind of a concluding piece for me is that I used to always look for salvation in how I hit the ball. Yeah. It was like, you know, was it, was my swing in the slot today? Was I hitting it solid? And I, the, I just love the phrase, Howard, that you use this year is that decade takes the pressure off your ball hitting. Yeah. And that's the piece. For, that's the big piece for me. Why I think people should check this out is that there's more to this game than just, you know, can you draw your five iron or transfer your weight? And when you understand that, you can have way more fun and hit it better and score better without being so focused on on my score, my identity, what my freaking handicap is. That stuff will take care of itself. Yeah, absolutely. If you're committed to to just making good decisions, having fun, lowering the thermostat, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. I have two things on this decade card that I would end it with. And the two most important things that I've learned in the seven years of teaching this now are Tigers when he says I'm aggressive, but I'm aggressive to my spots first and foremost. But the last thing on this card is you must learn to focus your inner conversation on things you can influence. Ask yourself, can I do anything about this? If the answer is no, move on. You have no other choice. Like if I can't change anything, well, Howard, you and I are three over on 4T. They're not going to let us go play these holes again. Guys, I didn't get into one in the morning. (laughs) That's right. None of that stuff. (laughs) So there's nothing I can do about it. So you better figure out a way to move on. And that's not easy to do, which is why I talk about meditation and Sam Harris and all that stuff so much. And being being present. present. That's it. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to let you go because the next time we have you back, we can, because that meditation piece is right in our wheelhouse you know we've been oh, talking yeah. about it for as long as we've been doing the show <clears throat> but as i as you can tell you know i'm a huge fan i i didn't even play this as many times as i could <laughs> but like i said I, I i no one has tried harder to get better at this at the amateur level i've never met anyone that practiced as much as i did 
And this year, like I said, it made such a significant difference, including a couple days ago. And I bogeyed the first hole on Tuesday. I'm playing with three other guys. Everyone's a scratcher better. Mike Dinner is like a plus three. And um, I bogeyed the first hole. And we're going to the second hole. And you know, when you have that little feeling, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, I don't want to bogey. The f- I bogey the first hole from like 140. So it's a shitty bogey. And then I birdie the next hole. I play the next 14 holes, four under par. So I'm three under with four holes to go. Now I had a couple of shaky bogeys on the way in, but I finished shooting even par. And I can tell you a couple of years ago, if I shot even par, I would have said, hey, let's go for wings. But I shot even par <laughs> and I was literally going, how did I, how did I fucking bogey the last three, you know, three of the last four holes? I, I, I just, it's, it's just switched the whole way I look at the game as opposed to, you know, thinking that those bogeys came from the fact that I mishit some shots. They were just a couple of poor decisions and a little bit of variance that went against me. Anyway. You see everything a little bit clear. I mean, just a little more clarity once you're looking at it with uh, uh, a better lens looking backwards. It's not just all physical. Is Did I make some mental errors? Because they usually, they usually always are. Hey, Scott Fawcett, thank you very much. Tim, why don't we just hang on and we'll do a couple extra minutes as we thank our sponsors. We'll let Scott go. I know you got to play, but we'd love I to do. have you back. I, I know you're here's the thing. On. Scott's got like he's got a, he's, on, he's on a podcast every other day. <laughs> Uh, but just Google uh, decade and uh, maybe in the new year, we'll have you back. And maybe we could get, maybe as the season approaches here in Canada in March, we'll have you back and maybe give away a, a seminar, not a seminar, but give away a, uh, a decade. Uh, I'd love it. Uh, um, Any. The app. Whatever. By the way, there when is go. the app been changed for Android? <laughs> Who knows? When, All right. When are you going to buy an iPhone? It's oh, not our easy fault. Easy now. It's not our fault that you're on an operating system that has a million different iterations out there. Whatever. I can't afford an iPhone. Uh, all right, my friend. Take care, Scott Fawcett. Thanks, guys. See you later. Cheers. Thank Bye. you very much. There's Scott Fawcett. That was exciting. I, I, I honestly, I was. Uh, I wanted you to stick around after because I thought, you know, I, I, it's just too much for me. I've got, I, I have too many notes, and I was a little bit too. But I'm I glad totally to get it, man. Remember, remember when we had Fred Shoemaker on? Well, yeah, the and, first and time before, we had Fred on, yeah. Before we started, like, you looked down and go, you know, I had this notebook full of notes and stuff. And yeah. I, I, I totally get it, man. And I think that's so cool. I mean, you've been doing this for 40 odd years or so. And uh, here you are getting excited about a guest we're going to have. That's, that's Oh, uh, yeah, I'm doing the radio thing. No, no, I was excited to have him on because, like I said, in the middle there, like, I, I don't know, you know, like I said, the, even the other day when I bogeyed three of the last four holes on the 9th of November to shoot even par, and I kind of was like, you know, like ho-hum, you know, I shot even par, you know, like, you know, maybe I had it in my head, I was going to shoot 68 or 69, but as I laughed with my buddy Paul Henrik, I said, you know, that's like the most ridiculous even par round I've ever shot, and it's all because of that guy we just had on the show, like it literally made a huge difference in my life. In terms of the understanding of where score comes from, mm-hmm. I mean, you and I, we've spent hundreds of hours talking about being present, being in your body, meditating, looking up at the horizon, being a good partner. You know, no one helped me more than you when it came to understanding my place in the foursome and what it really, you know, what I, sh- you know, in terms of being outwardly focused and, and trying to be a good partner. And all that was great. And I thank you for it. And and again, I'm grateful to all the people that have helped me, the Paul Doolins and the Sean Casey's. 
but I'm not being hyperb- hyperbolic. I'm not. It's not I think hyperbole. Hyperbolic will work in this context. Uh, it's not hyperbole. Not to say, yeah, to say that that guy has made the biggest difference on my golf scores of anyone oh, I've it. ever met. And I totally get it. Yeah. You know, I'm. I, it's like you know, you used to be very kind. Say, well, you know, in shows gone by, in, in years, you'd say, well, you know, you're kind of a scratch, and I'm like, well, I'm not really, you know, but I am now. You know, I'm like, it's crazy to me. I just finished the like this week. I finished the golf season, shooting even par, and it used to be a big deal for me to do that. It's just not anymore. And again, yeah. I don't hit it any differently, really. Although you did say something I thought was interesting too. My uh, my strategic approach now has actually made me hit the ball better. Okay, totally. I, I, I believe that. And that's a thing that I think that a lot of people don't get is that the, the it's not their swing. It's not the you know second or two that you're standing over the ball and swinging the club that makes the difference. It's what went into your preparation for the shot that's where it is and in that preparation are you making it from a state of uh, emotional neutrality are you hot are you angry are you resigned have you lost your focus that kind of thing are you making a good decision are you picking a club that it's going to work in this with the lie you have and all of that kind of stuff that's all from your preparation and that comes from so many of the things that Scott was talking about. But what I, I really think is interesting to me, and, and I'm so glad we had him on the show and had this opportunity and he, he went along with us, is that, and again, you know, uh, you said maybe what you're going to say should be exaggerated. I think that people are going to look back at Scott Fawcett as having made a major contribution yep. to the game in the same way Mark Brody made a big you know Gene Sarazen inventing the sandwich I don't know if Scott's in there with Gene, with Gene Sarazen but I really think that he has taken a, he's taken a lot of things and he's debunked them and as he said too more clarity yeah. I mean seriously I thought that was absolutely hysterical. Yes, this is inside stuff. He's not leaving enough putts short. I mean, well, I, I got to tell you, by the way, I'm going to compliment you. Emotional neutrality is one of my favorite things was, that was said today because, you know, it's a great another way of describing, you know, keeping your thermostat at neutral. But emotional neutrality is something, another thing that I... You know, I don't know why this is so uh, emotional for me because I, I couldn't... I, I, I spent countless hours talking to you and Doolin and Carl Morris and Ed Collins and two times I spoke to Fred Shoemaker and I just help me Fred why is my why can't I get my head correctly in this game and and none of it made as big a difference some a lot of it I'm, I'm sorry not none of it it made a difference in terms of my knowledge and and sort of self-awareness but nothing kept my thermostat from flaring up which we both know it can nothing kept it down like this because i just the the two things i said to him in the earlier the expectations knowing what a good shot is and knowing that a shot that i hit isn't as bad as i thought it was you know i i played with my brothers this fall they both came to town they both played and they're both decent players but I, I remember saying that to him, like, guys, like, you know, David went from a 16 to a 12 just f- from listening to us talk about this stuff. Um, that emotional neutrality comes from having a, a reasonable expectation 
of a shot outcome. And then once that shot happens, knowing that, you know, knowing that any number of outcomes can happen on any single shot opportunity kept me in a sort of a nice space where I wasn't reacting to every shot I hit. Well, exactly. So I think that decades made a huge influence, but there's also a lot of these other things that have also influenced. And what I have seen with yourself, when you talk about expectations is, and I think we can apply this to everyone and almost everything we do, is we're trying to meet some sort of standard, our own standard. And if we don't meet it, well, I suck. Mm -hmm. I'm not as good. What people are going to think? My identity gets threatened. And I think what this helped for you is that you didn't play you were no longer in this place of being two shots from a meltdown you were no longer your identity didn't it didn't weigh in the balance of whether you could pull this shot off or not so in examples like that you're three over and you go like oh you know this isn't about me i i suck or anything like that or i am not i can't do it in a senior tournament where i really want to bring it but no if I hang in here, I've mm -hmm. got now some, I've got some confidence. I've got some concrete evidence to go on, and that this will work out. And so I just think that in terms of, you know, I can even see it in the way we do this podcast, and in just the way I've known you now for over six years, is that you don't, you're not this up and down guy as much anymore. It's more of a rolling wave. Mm. <laughs> well, I'm also, you know, I'm an old man now, Tim. I can't get all excited. Uh, uh, no, I but I think in six years you go from being a, uh, <laughs> a sparky, spunky yeah. well, guy to suddenly 61. Listen, I'm not, uh, I'm, uh, you know, it used, I was going to say, I'm not immune to like, you know, wanting to, you know, to, to, for for egoic reasons but I, I i just to this story like i used to show up to play with good golfers you know and play with gortner and people like mike dinner who i played with this week or craig watkins these are people that i know have like plus two and plus three and plus four handicaps and i would be like i'd want to show up and play with them and show them that i could play and i would be sometimes well like a lot of people like insecure about like gee yeah. i hope my i hope my I hope I'm good. I hope my good game shows up today. Exactly. Well, I can tell you when, and, and even after I bogeyed the first hole the other day, no part of me was wondering if my good game was going to show up because I know I don't think of my game as my golf swing anymore. I just think of the game as, well, you know, sometimes you, and I hit a really good drive in that first hole, like really good. Like I smacked it. I had a short iron into the green and then just the wind came up. I hit it short and made a kind of a iffy chip and I, and I made bogey. So I was going on in the second hole without any part of me going, oh, I wonder what Mike thinks of me. And the guy exactly. that Mike brought to play was a plus three. I wonder what he thinks of me. I, no, I didn't give a shit because I know that as, because I know the variables of the game will allow me to keep on going and I'm not going to make a triple bogey on the second hole and I'm not going to force it because I just trust that I have enough of the gameplay ability now that, you know, I'll, I'll figure it out. And, 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 and if it didn't happen, because I've made three bogeys in a row before and still functioned, everything would be fine. And that's different. That's the biggest difference for me from four or five years ago is I would have showed up on Tuesday hoping that I played well and that would wonder, I hope Mike thinks I'm a good golfer, you know? Yeah, Which, I, I, again, I we mean, all do that. We're attached to stuff like that. I oh, mean, yeah. It comes with the skin bag. <laughs> um, <laughs> this, the meat sack. 
Exactly. We just have these attachments about the, you know, we'll be happy when, yeah. I'll be safe, I'll feel good, they'll think I'm great if if I do all this stuff. And it's all just delusion. Yeah. And what a guy like Scott helps us understand is that it's it's that stuff that gets in the way. And in fact, and there's some math now. This is a very cool part to me. There's some math that helps us back it up. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it a bit more concrete than going and saying, oh, I'm going to have a positive outlook today. That's good. Yeah. But we need, as Carl, our friend Carl Morris says, we need some evidence. That's where, that's where confidence comes from, is from evidence. So I think you got evidence that, that you'd be okay. And, it, the, and, and thus, you didn't live and die with every shot. And I tell you, that's, that's helped me hugely this year is, is understanding that it'll be okay. And the thing that I wanted to just come back to or introduce was uh, used to say every once in a while, I didn't really get it. You'd say, let the game come to you. That's right. Yeah. And I would go like, I don't really know what that means. And um, maybe this is kind of Zen Cone from Howard Yoda or something. But I started to get that, say, in the example that you're three over after three holes, if you just hang in there, the game will come to you. That's right. You'll start to just swing, you know, maybe if you did, it wasn't in the slot, or maybe it finds the slot. Or you feel something, you have an insight, whatever. Or you just play the percentages, you make good decisions, the game will come to you rather than you trying to force the game by doing certain things, going to your Rolodex of swing thoughts, making a birdie because you just made three bogeys. Well, you know, I, I thank you for that because I, the, one of the things that, you know, Paul Henrik, who's my, my Yoda, always says that good follows good. And in that situation in the senior am, after making two bogeys, I made a good decision not to make a triple from where I was because I was. I was like uh, another version of me would have tried to hit it through those trees over the hazard, you know, any number of chaotic things would have happened and that would have been the day. But because I chipped out, which was the, you know, is the decade thing to do, because I did a good thing, I made myself a pretty simple bogey. You know, I hit it on the green about 35 or 40 feet. Wasn't the best shot I ever hit, but I two putted it. I wasn't trying to sink it for par and then make a double. And, and because good follows good, on the fourth tee, I made a really nice swing. Now I pulled it. I made that I made it seem like I hit a bigger pull for the story, but I hit that shot to a couple of feet. It was a kick in birdie. But because I didn't make a double or a triple, my what was that word you used? Uh, the I, I just I've, I've already forgot. I thought it was emotional a thermostat. Emo, no, the, the way you put it. Um, I forget. In, in, so internally, I, I will have to go back and listen. I said, I just gave you a compliment 10 minutes ago. God damn, we're old. But the the intestinal the, uh, something Fortitude. or other. Visceral. No, you said it. You are, oh, man. I am. I'm in flow, man. I'm not, know, I'm know, not know, conscious it, of what I'm saying. No, but it was like you, when I said, in, you, I said, oh, that's the phrase of the day. Anyway, whatever it was, because oh, I was in oh, on a... Yeah. Emotional neutrality. I was because I was because, and I mean it. I, I can see it vividly. I, I walked off that green. The other two guys in my group were even par after three. I'm three over after three, but because of my emotional neutrality, I was able to make a nice, you know, pretty good swing on the fourth hole. Yeah, it's a good story because I made birdie, but it's true. And that birdie followed the good decision not to make a double. Good will follow good. And, and knowing 
you know, I don't, again, I know people remember, I, I did the six week, I did the six month decade course in five weeks. I just burned through it. And you then like the, didn't you in that in decade? What's you got your PhD in decade? I got my PhD in decade. And then what I did is I said, okay, I'm going to try and put this into play um, right away and see if this would. And, and, you know, it took a couple of rounds and I sort of got, I, it took me a while to get used to writing everything down as I was doing it. And eventually I got used to that and then making every decision based on the decade modifiers. We didn't even get into that. But just, I, I looked at my handicap history today before we started and I'm like, you know, I'd forgotten that I'd popped up to a 2.5 at one point because, you know, we came back from the lockdown. I shot some high, you know, 70s or whatever. But that emotional neutrality came from having a really good understanding of what what the proper strategy on every hole was. And that a 35-foot putt is not an opportunity to make a birdie. It's an opportunity not to make a a three-putt. And that's how I started looking at it. I totally get it. Yeah, and, and and I and and if I did short side myself the odd time, rather than think, okay, here comes my super flop. <laughs> I, I, you know what, Tim? I didn't hit one flop shot all summer because I that thought, is, okay, I'm just going to get this cool. on the green, ten or fifteen feet from the flag, because I'm not going to two chip. I'm not going to chip again. I'm going to two putt for bogey and just doing those simple things. If you cannot make a penalty stroke. If you cannot three putt and you cannot two chip in your average round of golf, you're going to, you're going to slash your score. Uh, listen, I, we, we did a long show today. Um, I'm going away. I'm for you swing thoughts, nerds, uh, STDs. I'm not sure when we're going to do another show. Probably, um, in early December would be my guess. No. Oh, yeah. Well, you're, are you off to Italy? Is that where you're off to? Yeah. That's so cool. I tell you what, I, I made a mistake. I'm wrong there. We'll I'll be back and, and happy to do a show with you, Mr. O'Connor, on the uh, let's say the third of December is uh, okay. is the next opportunity. And what will you be? Are you? Uh, what's the winter like for you know? Let's plug your business. Um, oh, I'm really excited about uh, two very cool things happening. Yes, uh, one is. Uh, I'm going to be coaching out of the Indoor Golf Academy in Kitchener. And uh, it's still being set up, but hopefully it will be open by uh, mid-December. And I'll be coaching out of there. They got uh, some excellent plans, and so that'll be fun. But also I'll be also coaching out of uh, the Office Golf. It's a new uh, indoor facility in the south end of Guelph. And these guys are actually also really uh, come to the table to help uh, boost, promote, raise funds for the University of Guelph golf team. So we're nice. really excited about that. So um, that, and I'm setting up also a, a monthly free group coaching session where people can come together and we'll do some learning, but also to learn from each other. And I facilitated groups like this for upwards of 20 years. And this will be the first time I've done it in golf. I've done it in men's work. So that's what's going on for me. And I'm really, can I really come to excited one of, Can I come it. to one of those? Oh, 100%, man. Yes, totally. I would love to do that. Well, it's for, it, it's, it, it's for people to come who are like golf nerds and, they, and to talk about the game in, in like a, a way that you have permission go a little deeper than you usually do or you know in the bistro yeah <laughs> after after men's night and so you can 
talk and learn from each other. Because I really think that one of the coolest things about being in a group is you sit around and go, holy crap, I'm not the only one who's fucked up. <laughs> or they've, you know, you learn from other people's experience. You know, they talk about situations or rounds and you go like, holy crap. Well, one of the things we could, find out... I could work that. from you know, No, and, and all these... De- by the way, the details uh, on what Tim's talking about at O'ConnorGolf.ca. I was going to say one thing, uh, you know, that, that I think a lot of golfers, and I've certainly found this out through doing the show with you, but and, and having sort of more open conversations, is that a lot of golfers really have, that, you know, that, that phrase about living lives of quiet, you know, frustration... Desperation. Desperation. And, and, you know, so many golfers leave the course, you know, on their way home before they get back into their non-golf lives, you know, sort of beating themselves up or, you know, maybe even quietly thinking, you know, why can't, why, why are I any, any good at, or, you know, I try so hard. And this was me. I try so hard. Why am I no good? And that Golf Galaxy ad that I love on the golf tournament broadcast when they say, you know, because we know inside every golfer, you know, is a better one. You know, that feeling that I could be better, but I don't know how or why. And, and I think that's what we find out when we speak to other golfers in groups that a lot of guys think that way. It's like, you know, and there's, they're a little ashamed to say that, that they sometimes have a love-hate relationship. They love the game, but they hate the way they are inside of the game. I was Absolutely. certainly, certainly the case a, for me, man. It's so hard because, because we put so much oh, stock in, in our identity and the score and all that kind of thing. And, and, and what I find really interesting about doing this show and even a lot of stuff we talked about with Scott, that a lot of these things are applicable to life. Yeah. And that's why the, the, the phrase I've been using a lot late, lately is golf is life. Yes, with apologies to Ted Lasso and Danny Rojas. Um, Dude, I tweeted that the other day. I actually had the hashtag <laughs> golf is life, man. Oh, <laughs> we should put it. that on a pouch. Yeah, there you go. Well, they see, the thing is, is that, so, so, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm excited about starting this monthly coaching group, again, free folks, is that a lot of people think the golf season's over. No, it's not. Golf, like life, is a 24-7, 365 deal. How you show up in golf is how you show up in life. How you show up in life is how you show up in golf. Yeah. It's all mixed together. So the way we, you know, deal with things in our in our business life, in our personal relationships, and particularly the stories we tell about ourselves, you know, about what we should be doing, how I suck, and all that. Oh, it's it's all applicable against it across the spectrum. So that's why I think golf never stops because golf is life. Well said. All right, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. The Humble and Fred Show will continue. Uh, we're back on the air uh, Monday. I'll be uh, there before I go to Italy for a couple weeks. Uh, Humble and Fred Radio. Or actually, HumbleandFred.com. I think we can. I think we took the yeah. radio out. Um, did. All right. Thanks to Scott Fawcett. What a, uh, a deep dive that was, as the kids like to say. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Tim. Oh, by the way, thanks to uh, TaylorMade and Jonathan Wong Apparel. And we'll see you next time. You feel all right when you hear the music ring.